This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're back with you once again to talk about films and the wonderful world of the cinema. Every time I say the cinema, <laughs> I feel like I have to say it like in a obnoxious, like the cinema. The cinema. It's funny to me every time. I know. <laughs> That's all that matters. I know. Uh, how are you this week? I'm fine. Yeah. I'm a little concerned um, again because um, pretty much everybody I know has COVID right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, you know, feeling a little weird about that. Um, are you like retreating from things again? <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you. Um You know, I think everybody has begun to really relax about COVID, obviously. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I caught myself in some what I call high risk behaviors. (laughs) Um, I've been going to the gym and not wearing a mask. I've been I went to a, a movie theater, very small movie theater and found out pretty much the next day that two people in the movie theater had tested positive so i was like oh great wait did the movie theater like email you or something or like no actually it was a birthday screening for a friend of mine here in atlanta and he organized this um the screenings that everybody could watch the new david cronenberg movie nice Um, and so it was a very (laughs) small theater probably i don't know maybe like 25 30 seats or something and um it was like it was like somebody somebody's living room it could have been like a rich person's living room it was but not like a huge movie theater right right like the kind of movie theater you see like on a campus or something yes absolutely and he texted everybody and said hey two people says positive i was like oh great and then oh my god probably the worst thing this is the worst thing i'm going to admit it because why not right so after the film we all like walk next door we're all having drinks we were we were outside Right. Okay. Smart. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when I'm drinking, I'll want to have a little cigarette break. Of course. Right? And it doesn't happen all the time, but I actually inhaled a cigarette off of somebody else who was smoking. I'm I'm laughing not because I think it's funny that you were in a high risk situation, but because of <laughs> what we now consider high risk. Like in the past, I would have been like, oh, Millie said she's been in some high risk situations. That means she visited a glory hole or something like that. <laughs> and now you're like, I took a sip after somebody's water glass. <laughs> yes. And like in the moment, it felt very high school. 
Do you right. know what I'm saying? Like I was like, and and the and the person who was smoking the cigarette was like a young, attractive man. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I am smoking this man's cigarette, uh, taking a couple drags. And then I was like, what the fuck did I just do? I I'm like, that is that is like express train to COVID. I don't really know this guy. I don't even know half the people here. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like literally put my saliva on another person's saliva. So and inhale like directly into my lungs where COVID lives. Yes, <laughs> inhale that saliva into my body. <laughs> and to say nothing of the fact that smoking is terrible and will kill you. And but it's a thing where I'm like, God damn, why did I fucking do that shit? So then, of course, <laughs> I spiral out. This entire week has been me spiraling out from that because I was like, oh, I did a bad thing. I did a bad thing. Holy shit! I mean, listen, I'm like Catholic. You know how this goes. Of so course, I was like. I have to test every day, every <laughs> single day since, because I was in the theater, but then I also had the cigarette situation. And, you know, so anyway, I've been spiraling out. I'm negative, but that's just I'm glad say. you're negative for sure. And, for I, now. And, I, and I understand the spiral, but I also feel like you've been doing some soft launches back into society for the last couple of months and nothing that you've done in the last week is different. Like you went to a movie. You've done that before. You went to the gym. You've done that before. Like these yeah. should not be high risk situations. But yeah. COVID is out there and I got it. I had COVID. Yes. I was hoping that you would talk about this because you out of a lot of people that I know were were very vigilant about oh, yeah. not getting it. So what oh, happened? Yeah. Well, even beyond, like, I I realized the other day that being one of the only people in my town who still wears a mask everywhere makes me feel like the angel of death. Because I'm just kind of always like, mm -hmm. everyone's carrying on with their day. And then here I am, like, don't forget COVID because I have my mask on. You can see that I'm worried about it. Don't forget COVID. Right. So I already felt like out of place because I was still vigilant months after most people had relaxed a little bit. Um, and if you think you were engaging in high-risk situations, I think the only possible way I could have gotten it, because I don't see anybody, I don't go anywhere. And if I do go someplace, I got my mask on. I think the only way I could have gotten it is in the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. There was one, one fucking day, I, I usually put my mask on in the drive-thru. One fucking day, I didn't grab it soon enough, and I think I just drove into someone's fucking COVID cloud, or one of the employees had it, and that's the only thing I can think of. And it started out feeling like I had allergies, like my throat was, my throat hurt, and I was kind of stuffy. And wow. I'm like, this is like allergies, like I get this every year, it's no big deal. And then my throat hurt more the next day. And I'm like, what mm. the fuck? <laughs> and then, then I went to, what was that? I went to Home Depot with a friend of mine, my friend Sarah. And again, mask on. I drove. I had my mask on in the car. I had my mask on in the store. I did not take my mask off the entire time. Mm -hmm. And then Sarah texted me the next day. And she was like, just to let you know, I've been feeling a little shitty. 
And I'm like, oh, me too, but I think it's allergies. And she's like, maybe we should COVID test. And we did, and we both fucking had it. So not only did I have it, I could have given it to my friend. The one person I saw in months, I could have given it to them. Because she wasn't wearing a mask when we were in the car. Oh, no. Or in Home Depot. So we kind of joked about like, did you give it to me? Did I give it to you? Who knows? And we both had like work being done on our house and all kinds of shit. So I talk to my contractors and I'm like, get your guys tested because I have COVID. And again, nobody fucking listens to me in my own house. So even though I have a mask requirement, nine times out of 10, I went downstairs and they were not wearing one. Right. Mm. But they tested negative. And I don't know if they were still testing negative because here's the real fuck shit part. So it started out just feeling like a sore throat and a little bit of a cold allergy situation. But I didn't test positive until four days after I started feeling sick. Right. Oh, so I hate it was like, this. I yeah. hate this like weird testing uh, window where... Yeah. Because there are so many people that have like the full on legit symptoms, but are still testing negative. That's what happened oh, yeah. to my my uh, weightlifting coach, too. Yep. And it's like you could have symptoms and test negative And then you're like, well, what is it then? I don't know. What, what the fuck do I have? And then like there was someone I know who tested positive like seven days after they started feeling shitty. What? So if Ugh. you feel shitty at all in any capacity, stay the fuck home. Because even if you're not testing positive, you could have it. Yeah. Um, and if you have to go out and you're feeling shitty, please wear your mask. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just, it was, I was so, when I, when I saw that fucking second line pop up, because I've been taking COVID tests like nonstop yeah. for the past two fucking years. Yeah. When I saw that line pop up, I... My stomach dropped. God, I gotta tell you, like that that feeling. I swear to God, I t- I take COVID tests constantly. I took one every day this week, and I'm always so nervous. Yeah, it is an anxiety producing fucking situation. Oh and no! So when that line popped up, I was like, "Fuck!" And then there was so it was first fear, and then a lot of shame yeah. because I'm like, and guilt because I'm like, "Fuck!" Did I get my friends sick? Like, did we try to do one normal thing and I got her sick? So there was that component. And then there was the pure panic of, did I get my grandmother sick? Because I wasn't testing positive on Sunday. Before I went to Home Depot, I went to her house that morning and did my regular thing where I got, this is before she moved in with me, um, where I got her ready and set for the morning. And I was hanging out with her for like three hours. We fucking watched Golden Girls and had breakfast and coffee. And yeah. I was like, well, I just have allergies. It's fine. And then on Tuesday, the day that I tested um, and I was starting to finally test positive on Tuesday, I was over there that morning doing the same thing. And then I went home, tested and was like, oh, my God, I have fucking COVID. Wow. So I panicked, called my mom and was like, you have to go over and take care of grandma this week because I'm just test positive for COVID. Also, she's moving this week. So you have to pack her entire fucking apartment. And Mm. it was just total panic. And thank fucking God she did not get sick. She tested every day. Yeah. And I tested her even after she got here. I wore my mask until I tested negative for I, I waited until I tested negative for two days to take my mask off in my own house. But I was panicked the whole time. So like for another additional week, I'm like, if I spent the last two fucking years of my life trying to keep my grandmother safe and then I was the one that gave her COVID. 
I will never forgive myself. Yeah. Like it was the most awful feeling, but thankfully she was fine. Yeah. Um, and she didn't get it. And she did. But again, this is how fucking random this thing is. Yeah. And how arbitrary it is. We hung yeah. out for hours. I fully had COVID and was like sneezing in her apartment and she didn't get it. Yeah, I've been hearing that. Like, I, I've been hearing stuff like that all the time. Like, people's, like, husbands or wives or kids ha- have it, but they don't get it. They're sleeping in the same yeah. bed. They don't get it. I mean, it's so, this is what, it's so beguiling, this entire virus, this entire pandemic, because it's just so, sort of like, you can't really set your watch to any of it. And it sucks no. because you're just like, there's just so many exceptions to the rule. And I just, it it makes it really hard to live a life when all this stuff is happening like this you know absolutely absolutely and oh my god i was so angry about that as well because i felt like my anger in the beginning and it didn't last very long but i was like and it wasn't even a why me it was just kind of like why this like i did not only did i do everything quote unquote right i did it harder and longer than most people and i still got sick I still got sick. So the anger, the only way the anger for me dissipated is realizing that that is just the nature of COVID is that we don't fucking get it and we will never, and we are, this is not purely an individual problem. This is a problem of our nation, a problem of our states. It's a problem of nobody is acting in good conscience to keep everybody well. Like, if everybody still, if we still had mask mandates, maybe I wouldn't have gotten sick. Yeah. If I wasn't the only fucking person wearing a mask, maybe I wouldn't have gotten sick. Yeah. And it's, it's, I've been thinking a lot about this too, because I feel like, you know, I, it's so funny. We've, we've come from this crazy place. Cause remember when we first, do you remember when COVID first popped off and we were both living in LA? And we were each other's cluster. What do we call them? Yes. I can't, now, now I can't even remember what we called them. COVID cluster. We were um, a pod. <laughs> we were a pod. And I remember there was this moment where, like, I hadn't seen anybody but you in person. And then we were in your car and we were like, should we, can we take off our masks around yeah. each other? Like, would that be okay? And I remember we both like slowly <laughs> took the masks off and we were like, we opened all the windows and your fucking moon roof and shit in your car. We were like, <laughs> oh my God, I feel like we're r- walking around naked. You know, it's, yes. it was so crazy. But fast forward to now where, yeah, no mask mandates. And I honestly feel and maybe part of it is me too, unfortunately, but there is, I think there's, there's obviously an exhaustion that's yes. kicked in with staying hyper vigilant about catching this thing. Yes. Right. And don't get me wrong. I do not want this shit. No. I do not fucking want this shit and I'm going to try my hardest, but, uh, but apparently not because right. I'm <laughs> not doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Because you're still going to glory holes. I keep yes. telling you. I Stay am out of the public bathroom. Putting my full mouth on a glory hole. <laughs> um, but no, it's true. It's like, I didn't want it. But I also feel like, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, there's an exhaustion to it. And there's all, and I cannot be, I have to be completely honest about the fact that being so hypervigilant has directly impacted my mental health. 
Yes. Like I have not been in a good place because I've been alone. I've been isolated. Yes. For years at this point, because nobody else will fucking take care of themselves. So I have to take care of myself by not being in the world anymore. Yeah. And that shit hurts. And it really fucking sucks that I did all of that. And I kept thinking like, oh, my God, all the things I missed, all the parties and birthday parties and visiting kids and visiting friends and visiting doing anything. I missed all of that. And I still fucking got it. Yeah. It's it's just so because, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, that's fucking the tragedy of life when you get right down to it, is that you can do so much good and still get the short end of the stick. I mean, I talk about this just in the dealing with the, you know, illness that I had four years ago, which, you know, I always say, oh, I was at my, I was, I was probably doing the healthiest stuff that I'd ever done in my life. Like I was working out five times a week and I was doing all this stuff and I still got sick. And that sheer notion of it fucked with me in this like really weird way for years like i still process that i'm still processing like what is the why do like bad things happen to good people or why do people who are taking all the precautions still get sick or like you know and it's a big fucking question mark i mean it's a fucking existential crisis i mean you're just like what truly i totally understand where you're coming from and to your credit i mean you were truly careful like like I said, one of the only friends that I had that was still very much like toeing that line. And, you know, yeah. I, I hate to think that Dunkin' Donuts fucking did you <laughs> dirty. Like live by the sword, die by the sword, I guess. I don't know. What we're, the fuck? We're, we're canceling our promo with them. <laughs> Stop the sweatpants. Stop, Stop printing it. them. Stop printing the collaborative <laughs> sweatpants. I know. And this and this is the other thing, too, is that like I had to really stop and think because I haven't been judging people for getting back out in the world because I get it. Like it is fucking yeah. lonely and miserable to be isolated. So I wasn't judging anyone for being like, yeah, I'm going to the movies or yeah, I'm not wearing a mask here. I just feel like there was a veneer of safety that was just ripped away from me because they're really safety is an illusion in every possible sense in this country. Like I could go to the grocery store and get shot or I can wear a mask and still get COVID. You know, you could be a person who never smokes a cigarette a day in your life and you still get lung cancer. Like there's, like you said, it's just an existential fucking issue when it comes down to it. So I, I just tried to let that part of it go and just kind of hope that I didn't get too sick. And thankfully, I mean, you definitely do not want this, Mm-hmm. But I am I just couldn't also stop myself from thinking like, wow, two years ago, this was killing people. And all I had was like, I lost my voice for a couple of days and I was kind of stuffed up for a couple of days. Yeah. But, you know, I was I wasn't really super achy, but I was tired um, and just stressed and just panicked over it. But I really I'm grateful to science. I was vaccinated and boosted and still got it. Yeah. Um, which doesn't mean you shouldn't get fucking vaccinated. It just means like if you do get it and you're vaccinated and boosted, it will not kill you. Yes. Um, and my grandmother, again, vaccinated and and double boosted and thankfully didn't get it. But, yeah. um, you know, there's just. It was just wild. It was wild. Yeah. It was truly. I went through so many fucking emotions. Yeah. Having gotten covid because 
it was truly i truly thought that i was doing everything i could to prepare myself and you know kind of not get it but that's not the, not how it works yeah not how it works so i don't think like at this point i'm t- i've been testing negative for you know I've, i'm fine um no, nothing lingering, no lingering effects, but um, I'm still wearing my fucking mask. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the other thing. Like, I'm still wearing my mask. I still haven't rejoined society, um, so to speak. And I think it's kind of going to always be this dance of hypervigilance and, you know, living your life. And I'm trying to figure it out. I'm just trying to figure it out. And I, I feel comfortable wearing my mask. I feel like it's the only thing I can do. Yeah. Um, our government doesn't help us. I got, did you ever do that USPS thing where they like would send you COVID tests in the mail? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So I got my COVID test and this time they were like, this time we'll give you eight tests. And I was like, okay, while I had COVID and I had to test every day, I was using the contraband COVID test that I got when I was in London in January. That's the other thing. I went to another country and didn't fucking get it. <laughs> That's the craziest thing. I was on a long international flight twice and in another country for a week and didn't get it. And I got it at fucking Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> livid. I hate to laugh, livid. but the, that is fucking crazy. <laughs> right? It's like I genuinely went out into the world, paranoid the whole time, wore my mask the whole time I was in London. But shit, you should have been at glory holes in London if you had known this. If you knew that you were just going to get it at Dunkin' Donuts and be like, yo, I'm in London. Everyone breathe on me. Let's go to these glory holes. Come on. Let's go. Come through. I'll be standing on the corner, like spit in my mouth directly. (laughs) 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 I didn't get it. So that was the other like, what the fuck part of it. Um, But yeah, I think that it's, it's just... Everyone should just do what they can to feel comfortable in the world, no matter what that looks like now, because everyone has given up on you. But I was I was definitely using like when I was in London, I was it was at the time in January when we were having shortages of at home tests here in the U.S. So I went to a pharmacy and I was like, can I buy some at home tests? Um, And they're like, yeah, sure. And they gave me a box and it was a box of seven tests. And I was like, fuck, yeah. And then I tried to pay for it. And they're like, (laughs) we can't charge you for that. Are you a citizen? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, just take it. Because every wow. fucking citizen gets seven free tests a week. Yes. And that's why I was talking to like the people who worked at the hotel that I was staying at. And they were like, oh yeah, like we, we st- still wear our masks and stay safe at work and stuff. But part of the reason why we're not as paranoid about it is because we test all the time. Yeah. So if we get it, we know sooner than like most people who are not testing or don't care. Um, So I was the whole time I was like, I'm using my London tests. Now that I finally got COVID, London came through for me and helped me (laughs) test every day. (laughs) And then and then like insult to injury, I got the fucking four U.S. tests that took two months to get here (laughs) and are the only tests we're going to get. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? God. Well, listen, I I'm glad that you're okay. Like it's never Thank nice you. to hear that people that you love get COVID. Um, I'm glad that, you know, if you want to get down to brass tacks, I'm glad you got it now versus before when it was actually yeah. fucking killing people. Um, but I'm I'm 
I know the I know the feeling of shame and worry and processing that comes with being sick, right? Um, and so and it's not it's not nice to sit in that. You know, it's not nice to be like, what did, did I do this to myself? Like how did I affect others? You know, mm-hmm. like how did this happen? It's a lot to think about and it's stressful and it's sad and it's just a lot. So I hate that you had to go through that part, obviously. Um, But I'm just glad that you're okay and you don't seem to have any like lingering effects and you're testing negative. You've not gone back to Dunkin' Donuts. Are you back with a mask? Like I have not gone back. Um, (laughs) I figured out how to make coffee in my house. Uh, The only faucet that works in my house is the pipe uh the pot pot filler over my stove and i was like all right i'm gonna put this i I can boil water in here now (laughs) great so basically you're telling me that like now every coffee shop in a hundred miles of your house is like a bad place so you've got like the insurrection one you can't go to that one covid duncan (laughs) yep the one where there's too many people because of the apple festival like are you just yep. gonna have to open your own coffee shop? Like, I am not even kidding. I <laughs> genuinely had that conversation with a local friend this week. <laughs> where I'm like, should we just open a fucking coffee, like a drive-through coffee shack, like the kind that I used to go to when I lived in Alaska, like yes. a drive-through coffee shack, just so I can drive through my own coffee shack and get coffee and leave. Listen, I can see it for you. You'd be like the little Juliet Binoche character that's like, you know, making this like beautiful artisanal coffee or whatever and like being like, hey, like look at my shack, my coffee shack where everything, the coffee's delicious. We we do not attend insurrections, nor do we have COVID. Like, yeah, I can we protect see it for our you. employees. We make everyone wear masks. If you're going to come through, you have to wear a mask. And um, I will not be storming the Capitol. And (laughs) I will also not be entertaining any questions about why I called this the fuck spot. (laughs) I get the coffee shop. Come come get it and leave. There's an express lane for brood. If you just want a brood cup of coffee with some fucking milk, get in this lane. If you want a 10 minute espresso drink, then get the fuck over there. I can see your little espresso art being just a glory hole. Right, just to... <laughs> all of our espresso art is just dicks and vaginas <laughs> like dude we gotta go to the fuck spot the, the espresso art is a dick that's amazing <laughs> you want some cappuccino foam okay well here's a little fucking chocolate stencil dick stamp on top of that Oh my god. But it is it is wild. I've just had a wild couple of weeks and the fact that it coincided so closely with my grandmother moving in made me yeah. insane. Made me insane. I'm like I can't even I plan on packing her apartment myself. I've packed and moved so many times in my life that I'm j- truly a professional at it at this point. Yeah. I had to leave it up to my mom and my sister. And when I tell you that this is this is the kind of packing they did. Okay. As the boxes started arriving, because I did hire movers, but so as the boxes started arriving, they labeled every single box miscellaneous. <laughs> every single fucking box was miscellaneous. 
Not a bedroom, living room, like no indication of anything. Just miscellaneous. Like, here's grandma's shit. We don't know what any of it is. Here's a fucking red, <laughs> fucking sun, a fucking sunny, sunny Robinson record and a fucking washcloth. Like it was insane the way they packed. They labeled everything miscellaneous. And then all of the fucking delicate shit. Like she had this, um, this clock that she got from her job when she retired. It was like this little gold clock with a glass dome and like all the family photos. And I'm like, well, they, they know how to wrap sensitive stuff. Should never assume they wrapped all of that shit in like a single layer of newspaper. But don't God. worry because they bubble wrapped her fucking Funko doll walking <laughs> dead figures. I was just about to ask. And I then was like, left her fucking like <laughs> retirement <laughs> clock to shatter in the box. It was fucking, it's every box I opened, I felt like I was losing my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, this experience says everything you need to know about my family yeah and my life right now they are chaos i i truly when my mom came over because she came over that day to kind of help yeah because i'm like i you have to help because i don't know what's in anything like you have to go through these boxes (laughs) like for example where are my granddad's ashes oh they're in a box marked miscellaneous okay (laughs) why don't you find that fucking box so i can put my granddad's ashes with my grandmother in her room Because that was the other thing. Like, I was trying to set up everything in her room exactly the way it was so that she wouldn't be freaked. Yeah, we know that the ashes go next to the Saw DVDs. We know this. Thank you. Thank you. And we've added to the Saw DVDs. There's a Devil Wears Prada DVD. (laughs) (laughs) She's got the Ken Burns jazz documentary for some fucking reason. (laughs) And then, like, 800 horror DVDs. And Granddad better be in the middle of them or else she's going to be like, where the fuck is my husband? He's in a box marked miscellaneous. Good luck. <laughs> so she came over to help. And I was like, mom. And I tr- I had to like hold her hands in my hands. And I was like, mom, I just have to say, and I, I hope you know this is not a judgment. A lot of people I know have done this. And especially middle-aged women have done this. You have got to go get tested for ADHD. <laughs> Like, this could be the crux of all of our problems. God, my mom needs to get tested, too. Can we Can we all just shove our moms into, like, a behavioral cognitive center, testing center or whatever, and just get them looked at? Look, here's what we're going to do. You and your mom are going to come visit and stay with me. My mom will come over to say hi. We'll be like, hey, let's all go plant shopping. And then we'll be like, Let's pull into a fucking behavioral and be like, guess what? Happy Mother's Day. You're both getting tested for the ADHD we know you have and just need confirmed. It's it like a, doc- a doctor in a long white coat that hands them a single Saw DVD and says, which box should this go in? Miscellaneous or Saw DVDs? <laughs> and they're like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> You know that part of the movie Gross Point Blank where John Cusack goes to visit his mom and she's like, Colonel O'Grady and Betty. And she's just like, that's my mom nonstop. Like, that's what I think is going through my mom's head as she makes every decision in her life. Like, Colonel O'Grady and nice lady lives down the lane. Let me put this fucking delicate one-of-a-kind clock in a piece of newspaper. 
and then bubble wrap all of the fucking spoons that we got from Target. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh my I god! Cried laughing when I un when I unwrapped the bubble wrapped Funko doll. I'm like, this is insanity. <laughs> it's true insanity. So Listen. yeah, the fact that it coincided with that shit, I'm like, I'm truly too tired and sick to deal with it. Yes. <laughs> like she's here. That's all that matters is she got here. Most of her stuff did not survive the move two miles down the road. <laughs> Even though I have moved across country four times and been fine. Couldn't God, survive the wrath. <laughs> and my and my little sister, I mean, I say little, but she's like 30. My little sister too. Like she's just like, yeah. What? She's just so happy, go lucky, and like it's fine. It'll be cool. And I'm like, it's not cool. Like you put a full. <laughs> I pulled out. My grandma's got a wig, and she has one of those styrofoam heads that she puts her wig on. Yes, of course. Her wig stand, the styrofoam head, was full of knives. What? Because because they were like, we didn't know how to wrap the knives, and we didn't want them to cut anything, so we stuck them in the styrofoam wig head. Okay. Now. That says the most about your fucking family than I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I pulled out this fucking pinhead doll from the fucking... <laughs> and I was like, what the actual shit is going on here? P.S. Can't find my granddad's ashes. Here's a pinhead that we made for you with grandma's <laughs> knives. Dude. It was, insa- it was the most insane day of my fucking life. You've been through so much. Okay, like it's it's it, like it's really it's really clear to me now how much you've been through the past couple weeks. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm just now my mouth is just open. Yeah. And these are the people who are supposed to help me with the woman who has dementia. Oh my god. Yeah, it's not so. It is not so here. I am like all right. Like we were just talking about before we recorded, I need to find actual help and I just need to find the time to do it because these people are bonkers. Yeah. They are bonkers. Well, look, this is I also mean, how I grew up. So it's like, is yeah. there any wonder why I'm the way I am where I'm like hyper productive and super organized <laughs> because I've lived with fucking knife lady gave birth to me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I ran the other way. I am happy that you're okay. I'm happy that those Saw DVDs are okay. A little TBD on the ashes. We don't really know, but like, you know, (laughs) as much drama as that you've been through, I'm just glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here and you're, you you know, not face down in a ditch somewhere. It could have happened. If it was any week that it was going to happen, it was the week that I had COVID. They had to pack my grandma and my grandma moving in. Yeah. That was the week that, like, if it was going to happen, it would have happened. But I got through it. So yeah. now it's just like, all right, I'll find a home care aide. And yes. hopefully, you know, my family will just... And they also just keep coming over. This is the worst thing about having a house. Like, they come <laughs> over and think... They come over under the auspices that, like, we're going to help you with grandma. And then they just sit here and, like, watch my TV and eat my food and leave. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? We've never been that kind of family. Look, my family's like that. I gotta be honest. They're just hoverers. They just hover. They o- overstay. They're just like, and they're not doing anything. It's literally Thank just you. like a household of people like looking at their phones for hours, sometimes days. And you're like, what the fuck? 
Why are you here? Do this in your house. <laughs> and I, listen, I'm I'm the only one. Cause if you want to get down to brass tacks, like I'm I'm the fire sign in a house full of water signs, and all these people go. just want to sit around and do nothing. And I'm like, get up, mobilize. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> like, don't you have tasks? Do tasks. Why are we here? Have you ever heard of busy work? Just look yes. busy. <laughs> I mean, just at least fucking go clean my toilet if you're going to do nothing. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I maybe cut that. I'm like, clean my toilet. No, keep that shit in because that I genuinely asked my mom. I'm like, can you go clean grandma's toilet or do her laundry or something? Like, what the hell? It was bonkers. And then she this is again, we're, we're getting this is a whole other episode <laughs> where we have to talk about my burgeoning relationship with my mom after years of having no relationship yes. at all. But she comes over and my sister's there and because my little sister's like her best friend. It's so weird. I don't know. I didn't want to get mm. into them. They're so strange. But my mom comes over with my little sister and then she goes, oh, and like we're going to see, you know, so-and-so later. She's coming over with um, with your niece. And I was like, wait, today? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, at my house? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, wait, so let me get this straight. You invited a whole other family to my fucking house on a day when you're supposed to be here helping me? And it was like, I, I it was fine. <laughs> and I love my niece. She's great. I, I taught her how to look at my high school picture and say, that's my gorgeous Aunt Danny. And look at my brother's, <laughs> my brother's high school picture and say, and that's my ugly uncle. So it was worth the trip. <laughs> I taught her a lot. We read Curious George. It was fine. Um, but I'm like, I had to tell my mother, can you please not invite people to my house? I mean, like, l- listen, I, I, in a way, am, am amused by now the <laughs> influx of problems that you have because of the simple inclusion of your family. Like having them in your Truly. life, in your town, now presents this like whole spectrum of issues that to me, from an outsider's perspective, I'm like, that is funny but i understand what you're going through yes it is funny for sure yes because you can tell the tales of your family and it's hilarious to other people but then you're like but i'm in it and i know what actually happens but i'm in it listen this is gonna pass this is gonna pass there's (gasps) a lot going on your family at some point might figure out how to be useful in your life You know, you know what's actually going to happen? I don't think it's going to be okay. And that's not just me being a pessimist. I think what's going to happen is one day I'm going to wheel my grandmother into the vestibule at my mom's apartment. I'm going to come back home, change the locks, and <laughs> install blackout shades on every window and just live here like J.D. Salinger. Like, I'm never leaving again. I don't exist anymore. Here she is. I don't exist. Goodbye. That's the only way I see it being okay. I mean, and I'm fine with it. I love a blackout curtain, so I'm 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 with you in any any decision that you make. The good thing about this week is that I love our theme and we've had I've had beautiful things to watch. Yes, I was going to say speaking of clocks, am I right? You like, are so right. Yes, we have we're doing a, a sub. I don't think we've ever done this before. No. Um, but we're we're celebrating a birthday this month, the glorious month of July. Why don't you tell the folks uh, what the theme is this week? Our theme this week is 
Happy birthday, Wong Kar Wai. Happy birthday! <laughs> now, we've, we've done a theme before where we featured two films by the same director, Steve McQueen. Yes. Um, but it was not in celebration of his birthday. It was just in celebration of his life and spirit and art. Right. And uh, this time we were like, hey, we figured out that Wong Kar Wai was born in July. He's a cancer. I think that tracks for his entire career. If you know anything about astrology, you'll be like, oh, yes, of course. But also, <laughs> we this is a good uh, a good way for us to sort of talk about, like, you know, one of my favorite directors. I'm sure he's probably one of your favorites. Yes. But to me, he's so tied to my youth, to my uh, coming of age, right? Absolutely. And just really... One of those kinds of directors who who introduced me to a type of filmmaking that I yes. didn't know was possible before I saw him. Like he truly opened my eyes to film in a different way from the stuff I've been used to seeing. A hundred percent. And um, I was going to do a little introduction to him, but I, I also want to say that to me, he is like one of the like quintessential handshake directors right like a a director whose movies is like if you mention that you like his films somebody who also likes his films like likes you more (laughs) now knowing (laughs) that you have this this uh director in common right that's the way it felt completely especially in the 90s when i discovered his films and i gotta tell you i mean i at, at the time when I was introduced to his movies in the 90s, I swear to God, I was like, I ain't dating a guy unless he likes Wong Kar Wai. Okay, this is, see, the similarities that we have are just organic because <laughs> I can, it is a, a romantic staple for me that even yes. if you haven't seen him, if I'm showing you a Wong Kar Wai film, you will love it. A hundred percent. It was like, it was like basically like he, his movies were like the movies that you would watch with like boyfriends and girlfriends and whatever. And you were like, temp check. What what are they feeling about this? If they like this, then we're good to go. If they don't like this, then they can fucking leave and I'll draw my blackout curtains and I will never talk to them again. <laughs> it is J.D. Salinger mode. If you don't, if you get up and go to the bathroom and don't ask me to pause it, we are done. I just love that. I just love that he meant so much to both of us. Absolutely. um, And he's an auteur and his films don't center whiteness, which is, but they're still like gorgeous and broad in scope and yeah, just beautiful. Yeah. Well, to just give you guys a little background of Wong Kar Wai, in case you haven't been introduced to him, I had this old film theory book that was called The Sensuous Cinema of Wong Kar Wai, Film, Poetics, and the Aesthetic of Disturbance. Okay, this is why, I mean, this is why academia, like I, my brain atrophied after I left academia for that, because I had to come up with titles like that for some simple shit. We were like, Wong Kar Wai makes beautiful movies. Why can't they just accept that? Because you you know you've got to have a title for your dissertation, and that's the book. Ugh. Like, this is... And unfortunately, I'm that type of idiot that loves shit like this. Like, I'm like, yo, <laughs> does this book have 27 words in the title? Bring it. We we <laughs> discovered this during our Wayans Brothers theme. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. 
And it's true. Like, I usually love the essays, but sometimes when I read those titles, I'm just like, I'm tired. I'm tired now. Yes. And to to the credit of the author, Gary Bettinson, it it does. I mean, he sets up the world um, really well. And then, of course, goes into his own sort of like analysis of his films. Right. But first and foremost, in this book, he called Wong Kar Wai a romantic artist. Oh, yes. I have to say, I think that he might be the most romantic filmmaker that I've ever come across. I don't know about you. Completely. If you look at the the breadth of his work, there are elements of romance in all of it. Right. And, you know, I think that, you know, as his, he's done like historical films and that kind of stuff. But I feel like there is a concentration of his career that was mostly in like the 90s and early 2000s that really created this world that people now know him for right yes. um and that's certainly like i think what we'll be speaking to a lot today is just sort of like this trajectory of films that came out in this kind of like one period but to give you a little background he was born july 17th 1958 a cancer as i said <laughs> tracks very well in the romance department. He was born in Shanghai, but he immigrated to Hong Kong um, when he was about five years old. And he, you know, like a lot of filmmakers, a lot of us, he grew up going to the movies. He watched a lot of international cinema, Hollywood films, French films, the Hammer films in Britain, which is the big British film studio. And, you know, he studied graphic design. He was writing for soap operas at one point. And then I think finally got his start as in the business or whatever you want to call it. He was writing for like an independent film company in Hong Kong. And his first feature film was a movie called As Tears Go By, and it was made in 1988. And that film was basically kind of like an Asian action slash gangster or triad is what they call it. They're, um, It was like a gangster film. But it really wasn't until his second film, which is the film I'm going to be talking about today, um, Mm -hmm. Days of Being Wild, that he really began being sort of closely associated with the quote-unquote art cinema, right? And in this era, in the 90s and early 2000s, he was basically making art films for that kind of international market, right? Like going to Cannes, going to Cannes Film Festival and the festival circuit, But at the same time, he was casting a lot of these very famous young Asian superstars in his films. Um, And a lot of them were more or less, I mean, they were like famous before they even worked with him. And it was this very deep bench of actors. And they appeared in pretty much all of his films, like here and there. Like, you've got people like Maggie Chung, Tony Leung, Leslie Chung, Faye Wong, Andy Lam, Karina Lau, like all these people who were also actually like famous pop stars. A lot of them were like singers and musicians on top of actors, right? Yes. And in my film, one of the actors sings a song. She sang a song as a pop star that was used in the film that she's now acting in. Right, right. And so it's just this interesting, it's kind of this interesting production method to be making these kind of like romantic art films, but using like, think of the equivalent of that being like Harry Styles or like, you know, whomever, um, (laughs) what's her name? I'm like, what's her name? Taylor Swift. Um, you know, just like think of like people like that appearing in these like very, you know, 
dreamlike kind of romantic art films, right? I think it's yeah. kind of an interesting combo. And, you know, my introduction to him was probably through what I would maybe think is his most well-known film in the West, Chongqing Express. Chongqing Express, yep. And th- I think like this was more or less his big breakout Western film. I mean, because it was getting distribution from Miramax and, um, you know, directors like Quentin Tarantino were really like, you know, behind it. So, um, and this was the sort of big indie film era in the 90s. So it kind of got tucked into that whole wave, right? And when I saw Chung King Express, it fucking flatlined me. I was like, what am I watching? Right? Yeah. Like, I, I talked about this a little bit when we did the episode with, um, when I talked about Leo Broca. Mm, um, yeah. About how I kind of have shamefully not known a lot about Filipino films and a lot of Asian films that I had seen prior to Chungking Express were basically either like action or martial arts movies, right? So the idea of seeing Chungking Express was just this like moody, romantic drama. And it was cool. It was like this cool movie. And it used, you know, the Mamas and the Papas song. And I just thought, I have never seen anything like this before in my life. Exactly. Right? And that's the other thing. It's like the soundtracks of the, these films are always transportative. And yeah, it's just a true world creation. And totally. It, you're right. Like, I'd never seen anything like it before. And look, I mean, the world creation is right. Because what, after I saw this movie, I became obsessed with the world of his films, of the Wong Kar Wai films. And it was right on time because I was in my late teens, early 20s, and I fucking loved any film where people were like smoking cigarettes and feeling melancholy. You know what you're I'm saying? Like, you're like, I'm ready for romance and moodiness. Bring it on. Yeah. And like, <laughs> if there was somebody smoking a cigarette and feeling sad or feeling, oh, yeah. you know, forlorn, I'm there. This is, this is, I'm, I imprinted it on that shit so quickly, right? I'm, I'm already filling journal pages. Yes. But, you know, on top of that, on top of the sort of like aesthetics, right? His films also deal a lot with concepts of time, which is, you know, obviously mm-hmm. like what the clock segue was about, right? Because there's a lot of clocks in his films and there's a lot of dates and a lot of numbers that are just sort of like woven throughout his filmography, right? And part of that is that he was very interested in talking about the Hong Kong handover, which I don't know if, you know, there's tons of information about this on the internet. I did see an interview with him where um, it was when my film, when he took it to Cannes and he was talking about how, why that era was so important to him to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, have so many films, which, you know, again, we'll talk about um, that focused on this time frame of like the early 1960s. And it's because when he was a boy growing up under this colonialism, there were such divisions in society where he would say like, Oh, you're, you know, Shanghaiese and you don't talk with, you know, you don't talk to the Chinese people or you don't talk like my mother wouldn't let me date someone who was not from Shanghai. And like they, there were real divisions culturally because of England and the empire and the colonialism, but Mm. also because of culture. So I think that he just kind of the way that you imprinted on his films, he imprinted on that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so I just think he's just got a real stock of like really interesting influences Aesthetically, 
I mean, one just one of the most visually exciting, romantic, wonderful filmmakers I've ever come across. And, you know, I think that his heyday, if you will, I mean, he's still alive, he's still working, but it's that thing of like, he really captured a sort of moment, I think, in our culture and in our, you know, coming of age where he just really like kicked off this new um, sort of appreciation for Asian films and Asian stars, you know, in America, which... I mean, I feel like after his movies started coming out here, like you got things like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and you have people like Chow Young-Fat and like Jackie Chan and Jet Li. They were becoming like very popular in Hollywood. So, you know, I feel like he's responsible partly for that. And on top of that, you can literally see his influence in movies, uh, you know, from not just Tarantino, but like Barry Jenkins and Sofia Coppola. I mean, he is like in the fiber of the art cinema at this point. And you know, we just love him. We can't say enough nice things about him. He's he's an amazing director. Has made some of the best films I've ever seen. Right? Truly, truly, and and just inspirational, and also not. He's he's again. He's one of those directors that, if you're not familiar with him and you hear him his name, you might think, oh, this is pretentious or not for me or whatever. But his movies are so accessibly about emotion that I think it just transcends all that shit. Like he truly walks it like he talks it, and is just stylistically wonderful but also emotionally so evocative and i just yeah i really have a a great appreciation for him and listening to him talk about his films is so much fun because he's just like again he's like yeah i was just thinking about clocks because i think about time a lot and it's like it doesn't have to be deeper than that for him yeah yeah (laughs) so there's like there's just so many elements that he can he can portray in such a, a an artistic way but are just very simple concepts to to kind of latch on to that make his films just uh, so beautiful. Yeah, so happy birthday, Wonkar Wai. We appreciate you and we love the work and we're going to talk about two of his films today. So my film for the theme, Happy Birthday, Wonkar Wai, is a movie from 1990. It was written by Jeffrey Lau and Wonkar Wai, directed by Wonkar Wai, obviously, and it's called Days of Being Wild. So I think like we talked about in the intro, I feel like my film, Days of Being Wild, is it's basically like Wong Kar Wai kind of first moving into his signature style, right? Um, and relating to this, this was also the first time that Wong Kar Wai worked with Christopher Doyle, who is his longtime cinematographer. And is a huge influence on what the world of the Wong Kar Wai movie looks like, you know? Now, Days of Being Wild didn't actually do that great at the box office. And in fact, there was supposed to have been a sequel. And we know this because in the last few minutes of my movie, it basically starts this like whole other story, effectively, with this character who is being played by the actor Tony Long, who's in your film. Mm-hmm. And he actually doesn't appear in the movie at all until this point, until the very end. And I'm not giving a spoiler by telling you this, by the way, <laughs> but I'm just saying if you see the film or you, or if you're about to see the film and you wonder why there's kind of this like weird tone change in the last few minutes, it's because this movie was supposed to have had a sequel, <laughs> okay? But they didn't make it because Days of Being Wild wasn't successful. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, 
But in spite of all this, now I think it's generally understood that Days of Being Wild is is actually the first in this sort of like loose trilogy of films, which includes your movie and the uh, and the movie 2046, which was released a few years after your film, right? Right. So a one-sentence synopsis of Days of Being Wild goes a little something like this. A young, carefree fuckboy living in 1960s Hong Kong spends his days and nights breaking the hearts of several women while longing to locate his real mother in the Philippines. Yes! Yes. So... (laughs) Now, quite obviously, when you first start this movie, it'll hit you in the face. This movie is very sexy and very dreamlike, right? The opening sequence is so fucking beautiful, okay? It's just this, like, beautiful, slow panning over the tops of palm trees, which I suppose means they're in the Philippines, Um Having been to the Philippines, I'll tell you, there are a lot of palm trees. Um, But there's this like really dreamy Brazilian guitar music playing over it. And it just like sets this perfect tone, right, for this film. Because weirdly enough, the story of Days of Being Wild is almost kind of simple, really. Yeah. But the movie is just really trucking in atmosphere and mood, right? And... It's set in the 1960s. It's hot. I think we know it's hot in Asia. Um, The world that it inhabits is this kind of like urban. It's kind of slightly grimy. And, you know, the cinematographer, Christopher Doyle, he used a lot of like low lighting and a lot of green filtering. So so there's kind of this like green tint to the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just kind of creates this like sensual, romantic universe. It's just amazing. Right. And and do you think that because um, I, I in researching my film also, you know, found that he was working with Christopher Doyle a lot. But what I didn't really hit upon and I probably just didn't read enough. Um, there's like a saturation of color. And so and in that's like a signature of Wong Kar Wai. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is that more influenced by Doyle or do you think that's like Wong Kar Wai helping with that kind of direction? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Like, you know, all movies are kind of a collaboration in a lot of ways. So you do have Christopher Doyle, who has a very, like, very specific visual style to his work. But also William Chang, who was, like, the Wong Kar Wai kind of, like, longtime production designer and editor and stuff. So I feel like it might have been a collab in a way. That makes sense, Um, yeah. You know, obviously, I think directors have a lot to do with the movie, but I, I think in particular you know there was all these very like standout folks that worked with him that probably also had a lot to do with just this world building right so the male lead of my film is leslie chung and he was this very very famous hong kong actor and pop star and like i said he was part of that deep bench of these hong kong film and music stars that appeared in a lot of these Wong Kar Wai movies. Um, he was in the mo- the movie Happy Together, which I don't know if you've seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Fucking incredible. I mean, just in- incredibly important in queer cinema, but just sort of like another film that sort of like plays into these themes that Wong Kar Wai movies are about, right? 
He was also in Ashes of Time, which is another sort of like, it's like a wuxia film that Wong Kar Wai made in the 90s. But he was in a lot of other Hong Kong films too. I mean, he was actually in A Better Tomorrow and he was in Chinese Ghost Story and Farewell My Concubine. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's... um, But if you get a chance to read about Leslie Chung, it's very fascinating and sad. A lot of it is very sad. He was bisexual. And he really challenged the notions of sexuality and gender, I think, during his career. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, still a very homophobic place in time, right? And he suffered from clinical depression, Mm. especially towards the end of his life. And he tragically died by suicide in 2003. So, you know, he's a very interesting person to read about if you ever get the moment. But in Days of Being Wild, he plays this character, Yuddy. And he kind of embodies the type of male character that we see a lot in, like, American melodramas of the 50s, right? He's like a James Dean type. He is enigmatic and beautiful and boyish, but he's, like, also very moody and he's troubled and sort of aimless, right? (laughs) Perfect description. Yeah, just that type of guy we love. (laughs) Am I right? And... (laughs) At the beginning of this movie, he meets this quiet, almost kind of like bookish shop girl who's named Sue, and she's played by the wonderful Maggie Chung. I'm sure you have a lot to say about her because she's also in your film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes in with this big game with her. And at first she sort of resists it, but then eventually she succumbs to the charms as we've been known to do. Right, people? And... um all is well there until, of course, she wants to move the relationship forward. And of course, he's like, oh, no, we're not doing that. You're, we're not getting married. Like, you can move in, but I don't want to marry you. Right? And it's so wild because like she, her type of resistance to him is like, like, fuck you. Why are you coming around here at first? Like, she truly wants nothing to do with him. Right. And I think she kind of had his number when she first met him, but then she kind of couldn't help herself and is mm. mad at herself at that point for falling for his shit. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst when you know better. Yeah. When you know better and you're like, oh, fuck. I really did that <laughs> shit, didn't I? <laughs> so Sue and Yeti are, are done, quite obviously. And she's heartbroken and sad. So then he moves on to this like cabaret dancer named Mimi, who is played by Karina Lau. Um, she's effectively like the opposite kind of woman from Sue. She's very bold and playful and loud. And she's got a great look in this film, I have to say. She oh. looks so fabulous. I love it. And duh, Yuddy is uh, again, one foot out the door with her as well. So you've got him juggling sort of multiple women and he's meandering around town. He's smoking. He's sweating. He's emitting this pure sexual energy, right? But at the same time, he's having these like deep feelings and this desire to find his real mother, who he is only told lives in the Philippines, but basically nothing else, right? He is also deep into this like very tense and like fucked up relationship with his adoptive mother who is played by Rebecca Pan and uh she's a sex worker and um has kind of kept 
Yuddy sort of like tethered to her in this like codependent situation. But ultimately, it's sort of loveless in a weird way, too. Like she's like codependent and needs him around, but she actually like doesn't really isn't fond of him or something. No, it's a very transactional relationship. Correct. And, you know, you can obviously make the connection between his mom issues and the way that he lives his life and how he treats women. I think that's very obvious, right? Um, And at some point, he actually does travel to the Philippines, you know, to try to find his mom. And while he's there, he's basically saved by this uh, former police officer named Tide, who is played by Andy Lau. And, like, at some point... Tide was living in Hong Kong and sort of kind of was getting involved with the Maggie Chung character. They were just kind of having this like very chaste, I don't know, not a courtship necessarily, but, you know, they were just kind of like confiding in each other and talking to each other, walking around town late at night type of thing. (laughs) Uh, And she's obviously heartbroken over Yuddy. So she was talking to him about a lot of that. So he ends up he ends up leaving Hong Kong, move, you know, going to become a sailor, and he's in the Philippines, and basically he he saves Yuddy one night in this kind of bar, this barroom brawl. And um, it's funny because Yuddy technically knew him because he was like the security guard in his building. That's what was always so weird to me is I'm like, you see, you saw this guy every day. <laughs> yeah, but he, he doesn't recognize him. And But the weirdest part is that I feel like that to me is sort of like a staple of what Wong Kar Wai's films are about are these like characters that are sort of like connected in these weird ways, but they they don't form actual healthy bonds with each other. Like they don't form real friendships and real relationships. And I just feel like that's a part of like what his world is about. It's just these broken people who are who want the connection, but they just can't get there. Right. Yeah, it's like a bunch of like buoys bumping up against each other in the ocean or something. Like they're just kind of like in the same world for a moment. They're trying and it, maybe it doesn't work. So they float away to something else. Right. And it, it, it's the, it's it's represented in this film between Tide and Yuddy, but also with Yuddy and his parents and like Yuddy and his um his girlfriend. So it's just like to me, I feel like because this was one of his first films, like he really began to sort of work he really began to talk about this more and more as his filmography went on, right? But here's the thing. Days of Being Wild, I think, obviously set the table for a lot of his movies and what they would be known for later, visually, but thematically, like I said. And there's just a lot in this film to chew on, right? There's He's talking about love and loneliness and longing and just sensuality, you know, obviously... Lots of close-ups of clocks on the wall, talking about time and memory. And, you know, like I said, it's just this, I think a lot of people, I won't say they forget this film, but I think when it comes down to it, like, especially after Chungking Express, especially after your film, I feel like Days of Being Wild kind of gets tucked into, like, early career. Um, I mean, it is part of this trilogy, right? This 2046 in the Mood for Love trilogy. But I feel like a lot of people, who, after seeing those two films in particular, kind of look at Days of Being Wild as being kind of like an early film, maybe not as memorable. But I, for my money, I, I love it. I think the scene of Leslie Chung 
walking away from his mother's house with the Brazilian guitar music playing and the palm trees is one of the most evocative and beautiful shots in film for me. Like it haunts me. It haunts me when I see that. And not going to lie, like you have a film about a Filipino mother, you know, I got to feel some type of way about it, right? But I'm just Contractually obligated to feel. Contractually obligated to give a shit. And I, but I just love the way this movie moves. And, you know, I just love the way that, I mean, Leslie Chung is gorgeous. Oh my God. Beautiful, beautiful. gorgeous, young, like vibrant. And, you know, Maggie Chung, like we've talked about, well, we will talk about in your movie is incredible karina Lau is gorgeous so like everybody in this movie is kind of like it's all kind of firing on all cylinders for me personally and like i know that again there's it's part of his filmography and people do love it but i feel like it kind of got not forgotten but just it's gotten tucked under his subsequent work yeah and and when when it came down to it such a mistake yeah, I know, I know. And when it came down to it, it felt like, oh, it's like, well, if I had to choose one of his movies that I really want to talk about, I felt like it was this one because I'm like, don't forget it. Don't sleep yeah. on Days of Being Wild. It's really, really great. So I think that was such a smart move and it makes so much sense because this is, again, like if, if you love other films by Wong Kar Wai, mm-hmm. then I, it, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense to be as dismissive about his earlier films because that's where you're watching him develop his style and this film in particular like days of being wild is so foundational for understanding how he approaches a story how he approaches characters how his films look why they feel the way they feel and the story is just so compelling because again like you like you said earlier it's a simple story but he makes it compelling by telling by dipping into these other narratives and dipping into tide and dipping into like all these different narratives and then bringing them back together like he just he's really skillful at that and this is the beginning so if you enjoy him doing that in other films then definitely revisit or watch this for the first time it's it's stunningly beautiful yeah i will say the criterion version that's on the channel right now is about as so beautiful good. as you could see um because that's I, the one I watched <laughs> yeah no and like it because for a long time i before they did the box set you know there's a, a Wong Kar Wai box set that criterion did um i it was not in good quality like i remember seeing it god it was probably on some other streaming service and i was like wow this looks like uh <laughs> it still looks like a vhs so i'm glad that they did they made it look great and did the work on it but um yeah oh my god now we have to transition to your film because your film is very much related to mine and wow absolutely absolutely and like you said this is part of what what is deemed to be part of a trilogy um and my film would be the next in line um and we didn't we didn't pick our films with that in mind but that's just how it shakes out sometimes and um my film was released in the year 2000 uh directed produced and written by Wong Kar Wai and my movie is In the Mood for Love Oh god. I mean, I feel like uh there's so much to say here. Like I like I said, I watched I watched this movie on the Criterion channel at the time that we are recording this. It was available and there are so many tidbits 
that you usually would just get on a DVD, but they actually have some also on the site. And so I was watching all these interviews and kind of these, the, like the French trailer and like all these different, there's an alternate version of the film on there. Like you just mm-hmm. watch anything you want. And that's where I saw that interview where Wong Kar Wai says that he's he tries to tell a story about a different time period and secrets and telling the story of another side of an affair with this film. Um, and so the, my one sentence synopsis, I actually have two because I couldn't, the first one is just too simple, but it made me laugh. Yes. Um, story of my life. My one sentence <laughs> synopsis of In the Mood for Love is, it's a very sexy movie about two people who do not have sex. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> And it is painful at times to watch them in this relationship. But we'll we'll get into that. Mm. Um, and the crux of the the synopsis of this film is that you have these these two new neighbors. Like they've they've both moved into a room in someone else's apartment at the same time on the same day. And there's like you know a little bit of comedy that ensues um, when their stuff arrives at the same time. And she's like, "That's not my chest, and that's not my shoes." And like there's like a little bit of comedy there. But they're two neighbors who are largely pretty polite to each other and then they discover that their spouses are cheating on them with each other mm-hmm. and you would think in most films that would be the narrative like that would be it is our spouses are cheating with each other what do we do um but what i love about this movie and part of the reason i picked it is that the story deviates two or three times in ways that you do not expect. And part of it is because of the cast and the cinematography. And so we're watching these two people kind of embark on like this very delicate and sexy dance that kind of brings them to the brink of having a relationship of their own. Um, But as you get to know them and understand who they are as people, you realize why they never follow through with that. Mm. So this is a film set in Hong Kong. Um, and the time period that it spans is from 1962 to 1966. He originally wanted the film to end in 1972, but he thought that the style in Hong Kong and the politics of Hong Kong had changed so much in that 10 years mm-hmm. that it kind of wouldn't make sense to to have the film span that much of a, a gap in mm-hmm. time. But it's the movie starts out with, you know, some phrases on the screen. And it just, it's, again, one of those films that, from the first sentence I was in because it's just this narrator saying it's a restless moment. So they're just literally setting the scene for like, here's what you're getting into in Hong Kong in 1962. Mm -hmm. It's a restless moment. Um, And then this, this film itself is like, it's like this slow, like languorous shots of movement. Like the movie itself is like a dance or like, like a waltz of some kind. And um, I think I heard Wong Kar Wai say that in an interview as well. Um, but it is, it's like this slow, steamy dance, like where you could feel the heat of the place and you could feel the, like I have been to Hong Kong before. I went to Macau on a freelance writing uh, assignment. Wow. And when I was married, my brother-in-law lived in Hong Kong. So I went to go see him and his family for the day. I just took a boat over uh, for a couple of days. And I love Hong Kong. It's a gorgeous gorgeous city but it has Mm -hmm. a lot of history that is rife with colonialism and you know again with you know separatism and it just has a lot of history Mm -hmm. um and so 
one of the things we're learning about this moment in time that Wong Kar Wai wants us to pay attention to is kind of how people live together, um, both literally and figuratively. So you've got Mr. Again, cast incredible. Um, yeah. Maggie Chung is playing Mrs. Chan, and Tony Tony Leung is playing Chow Mo Wan, um, Mr. Chow, and they live together. They live next door to each other. Again, they each rented a room in someone's house. So, um, Mrs. Chan has rented a room from Mrs. Suen, the Suen family, and Mr. Chow has rented from the Coos, and. Both of these families are wild in their own different ways. We will get into that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally wild. But they're renting rooms in each other's houses. So they, they and their partners are living together in a room. So we start out and we're getting to learn more about their lives. And Mrs. Chan is a secretary and Mr. Chow is a journalist. Um, they both have very nosy landlords and um, nosy to the point where like later in the film, Mrs. Suen tells... Um, Mrs. Chan tells uh, the Su Lijian character, played by Maggie Chung, that she shouldn't be going out so much alone and without her husband and like kind of makes her fall in line. And you could tell she's fucking miserable. But she says things like, you know, I can't believe she's going out for noodles dressed like that and just like really judgy and kind of taking a parental role that isn't needed or necessary. <laughs> yeah, th- this is like part of the movie that every time I watch it, it becomes very clear to me about just how close these people were living to each other. And I think the visual element is played out too in this way where they're, the apartments are so close together and the hallways are super narrow. And you just get the feeling that these people are just like truly living on top of each other. And because of that, there's just so much like, like they know exactly what you're fucking up to and they see you come and go and they want you to have dinner with them. And they want, they know every move that you make and they have a judgment about it. Right. Absolutely. They are so on top of each other and it's like, they're in the kitchen together and they're, you know, excited when someone brings a new rice cooker on the scene and they're playing Mahjong together. Like they're just truly in each other's lives and business, which gives a sense of instant community, but also, again, becomes like very much a surveillance state <laughs> in yes. more ways than one. Um, and it works because these are two main characters who, end up, characters who end up watching each other. And they're able to do that because they live in such close proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing to me, too, about this, this film right off the bat is you get thrown into this chaos of people living right on top of each other. But not only do you rarely see their spouses but when you do see their spouses you never see their faces yes so there's something being like instantly telegraphed about how these are not the important characters of the film even though these are the characters that give you that inciting incident by having an affair and you know again from an artistic point of view and you know Wong Kar Wai had a lot to say about why he made that decision but I just think it was so I just, I loved it. I just loved that mystery, that element of mystery that was just introduced like immediately. Because um, you want to know who they are, but then you also realize, well, they're not important. They're not as important as the two people we're watching. Right. You know, it's just sort of like this invisible force that's like kind of bringing these characters together. And I, yeah, I, I like that you don't see them. I feel like, I feel like it was a good move for that. Right. Uh, 
completely agree. And then it's also what I love about this this film, which is evident in the beginning, is you're watching these two characters who are living independently very lonely lives. And their partners are rarely around and they're kind of like just, again, like ships in the night. And you're, you're watching them like pass each other as they go to the noodle shop or, you know, they're kind of in the hallway and saying, oh, hey, like your shoes, like your tie. Like they're just kind of living these lonely existences like right on top of each other. And then one night it rains as they're doing their noodle shop dance and they start actually having a real conversation Uh, which leads to them going out to dinner. And at this dinner, just from looking at her handbag and his tie, both of which have been brought back from Japan by their spouses, they realize, oh, what a coincidence. My wife and your husband are fucking each other, basically. Mm -hmm. Because she has that exact same handbag and he has the exact same tie and they bought them together on the same trip. What the fuck? And then that they don't they don't get too far into it, but it kind of brings up all these other questions of like, was the move into these apartments intentional, or was that just a coincidence? Like, was did the was there a kind of an unseen hand by these obscured partners that were like, yeah. well, if you get a room here and I get a room here, then blah blah blah. It's just it, it gives a, a, a credence to a larger story to be told here, but it also can kind of in that magical realism or that kind of fantastical way also just points out that like in a city of this size with this many people coincidences like this will exist and yeah be on top of each other sometimes or be like you know butt up against each other sometimes yeah um so at this dinner they're realizing like fuck our our partners are together and from here the movie gets very romantic in the freshest and weirdest way possible because what they decide to do um, you know, this this Tony Leung and, and Maggie Chen character, they decide to keep going out, but they are basically role-playing as each other's spouses. So every time they go out or get together, they're trying to envision, like, how did the affair start? And what would your wife say? Or what would your husband say here? Um, or they're, like, role-playing how it would go when she finally confronts him about the affair, Um, And they're having this real, again, this super saturated with like greens and reds and like this saturated sexy time, but they're still focused on their cheating partners. So they're keeping each other at arm's length by focusing on the most painful thing happening to them both at the same time. And so when Wong Kar Wai says he wanted to show the other side of an affair, to me, that's what he meant. It's like we're focusing on the, the disaster that is ensuing, but that they are trying, they have to keep private and, and internalized. And they're, yeah. they are each other's life raft in that way. Like they are the only people they can talk to about this. Like ima- imagine telling Mrs. Suen, like, oh yeah, my husband is cheating with his wife. Like that would be the talk of the fucking city for the yeah. rest of their lives. Yeah. And I mean, and again, it goes without saying, I mean, this is like early sixties. We're still, you know, divorce is still a big no-no and especially in traditional asian culture where Mm -hmm. you know you're not supposed to be divorced you're not supposed to you know pretty much like hang out with uh a member of the opposite sex without your husband or wife around so it's like yeah they're 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 really boxed in by the traditionalism of this era 
Um, but also boxed into this really tense, like living scenario where, you know, they can't, you know, they can't really express pretty much anything um, without anybody seeing like it's just it's it's so you know they're, they're all just really constrained in so many different ways right absolutely and and because of that traditionalism that you mentioned that's the reason why they have to start being more, co- more co- covert and so in the weirdest way they end up acting like they are having an affair yeah just by trying to kind of get together and you know he's he's a journalist but he's also writing um what he calls a martial arts serial which is like kind of like comic book style book and she's helping him with it. So they're getting together and trying to make it seem as innocent as it actually is, but having to do it in a way that they're like acting as shady as their partners. And so, yeah, like they're acting like they are having an affair. And it's something that that comes to light is that Chow really does love Mrs. Chan. Like he yeah. has fallen in love with her. No, and like I was going to say too, to your point about the two of them working on this like serial book or whatever this like, I'm like, y'all are tripping. If you think that that is like a chaste way to coexist with this other person. Cause like the creative collaboration is like one of the deepest, most passionate fucking relationships in the world. And I just love that the two of them are like, well, we can't very well have a romance. So why don't we just creatively collaborate on art together? Why don't we just get together in this new room you're renting so that we can have even more alone time? <laughs> right. But it's just so funny where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, let's do the thing that that is going to make everything fine, but actually draws us even closer still Right. Uh, and and t- I mean, talk about like the younger version of me thinking of what was romance. Oh, working on something creatively was like the 20s version. Like the night, like when I was in my 20s, the version of my teen romantic ideal, which was like walking through a graveyard, holding hands with somebody. And I'm like, holy shit, we've graduated from that to this. That is yeah. sexy. Well, and like I w- when I was watching the Kids in the Hall documentary, there was this moment where Dave Foley talks about falling in love with someone like that creating comedy with someone is a relationship. It is a love affair. And yes. so it's that thing where you're like, yes, of course, you're not in a romantic, uh, you know, relationship, but like art and comedy and all of these things are are, is love that's love and connecting to someone in the scope of that is a relationship so you're tripping if you think yes. that oh i'm just gonna create some art with somebody and it, it's gonna be totally fine and we're never gonna have feelings and this is like in lieu of fucking i'm like no that's its own fucking <laughs> by the way you don't know that but that's chaste fucking <laughs> chaste yes. fucking exactly <laughs> And also, it's like you're doing this while she's wearing like these elaborately gorgeous Cheong Sam dresses. Oh, my God. I was going to say, are you going to like, I have to talk about these dresses because they're just gorgeous. Unbelievable. Because I don't, I could never pull off of Cheong Sam. I could never, I don't have the neck. I don't have the... I mean, there you gotta look like Maggie Chung to really pull off that shit. I was like, damn, if I had a, a couple more inches down here, 
that weren't covered in shins. I'd be rocking that shit so hard. It looks so good on her. If I wore one, it would look like I was wearing a neck brace. Like, <laughs> when she wears one, it looks like the most glamorous, elegant item of clothing that has ever graced a human body. And yes. for me, it'd be like, oh, is she supposed to be in traction? Because that neck brace is not doing enough. It's gorgeous. And the colors of her clothing and the colors of her makeup and everything that feeds into that saturated world of color that he's creating yeah. is also telling a story about her because there's there's a moment too and again tony leung oh my god Ooh. just these like nicely tailored suits and the fucking hair and it's yeah it's the 60s everyone was just kind of hot yeah oh my god i mean it goes without saying tony leung is so attractive to oh this day is attractive as shit. But just to like this day, they are wearing these outfits that are just like, I mean, they're just gorgeous. It's like that very like suit, the suits and the dresses. And like, I mean, I don't know if you saw everything everywhere all at once. I don't know if you saw that movie. No, not um, yet. But there's a there's a part of the movie that um, is basically like kind of a tribute to I feel like this movie or at least Wong Kar Wai movies. And you're just like, those outfits with the slicked back hair and the fucking cigarette and the skinny tie, it's like you put anybody in those outfits and they look a thousand times more beautiful, right? You're just Completely. it's incredible. Completely. Oh, so and and it's also part of the the world. I know I keep going back to the color of it, but it's part of the world that when something happens, you know, Chow kind of reveals that he has been falling in love with um, with Mrs. Chan, but also knows in his heart of hearts that she will not leave her husband because of the time and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And he decides to leave and take a job, you know, in Singapore with Ping, his co-worker. And let me tell you, let's just take a moment to talk about what a fucking disaster of a human being Ping is. He is such necessary comic relief, but just so funny to watch in this world of like very put together people and he is just a fucking chaos agent just like hello you have to give me 30 bucks because i left my id with a sex worker and she will not give it back to me until i pay her yes and like it and it's almost in this weird way like ping is that sort of like manifestation of like what would happen if they weren't so restrained in their yes. relationship it's like here's here's the guy that's like smoking drinking going to sex workers he's like living fucking footloose and fancy free and he's like all up in the in tony lung's face like yeah what's your fucking problem like just go out there and fuck people come on like whatever and like he's it's like wow uh that's the road i guess that's the the road less taken for me Completely. right Completely. when you look at the two options you're like i think i'll be over here smoking a cigarette looking chill <laughs> for a minute like maybe i might dabble in that for a night but living that lifestyle full time is not good for you ping <laughs> and then there's that scene where mr mr Koo, the one of the other landlords um comes back and he is fucking blitzed drunk yes. And his wife is like pissed. She's like, we had to leave the fucking party because he's drunk. And they end up staying in their apartment playing Mahjong. And they're like, we're just going to play like two rounds. And it traps Mrs. Chan. <laughs> Mrs. Chan traps them. Mrs. Chan and Mr. Chow are trapped in his fucking room because they are getting drunk and playing until the morning, literally the morning. 
and like yeah. no one has stopped drinking it looked like so much fucking fun yeah but they're trapped in this room and again not doing anything illicit but they both have to call out of work the next day and like <laughs> fucking hunker down and he has to go out for noodles and like pretend that he's sick and like She's like, oh, yeah, we're just taking a break. And I'm like, this is a wild life. So if you're looking at these two options, this kind of slow romantic option or this like wildlife option, I feel like our characters are perfectly placed to meet each other because they both kind of want the same thing in that way. Yeah. Oh, my God. The the neighbors, like that whole storyline of like the Suens and the coups, like to me is so charming. It's like the whole scene with the rice cooker. I know you talked about it, but like, Rice cookers are very fucking exciting. I mean, maybe yeah. a- some Asian people can back me up on this shit. When anyone gets a new rice cooker, you're like, holy shit. And I'm sure back then, people were still sort of making rice like the old-fashioned way, like maybe over the stove. So to get a rice cooker, you're like, yo, it's a big fucking deal. And I love that oh, everybody yeah. like came together and they were like, oh my God, can you get me one of these? And and then when, they, when uh, Mr. Koo comes in wasted and they're like, he's like, got dribble coming out of his face and everyone's like clear the way like he's wasted and like and you can just see it in like maggie chung and tony long's eyes like they're like oh fuck they're home we're stuck yep. in this fucking room and we can't leave because if they see me leaving your room oh shit is going down break loose and right? again, they didn't even they were writing a fucking comic book together basically yeah <laughs> But if she comes out of that room, they're going to be like, she was throwing down with him while we were gone. It's been happening. No wonder why their partners got together. Like, what the fuck? It would be all hell would break loose. And it's so cute. And imagine that. Like, just that idea of, like, we cannot fucking leave this room. We got to sleep in shifts. Like, I'm fucking calling out of work because we can't literally walk out of here I mean, that is crazy. He had to call her boss. And she's like, who did he think you were? And he's like, he didn't ask, but I guess he thought I was your husband. Like, she can't even leave to say I'm not going to work. It was wild. I fucking love that scene so much. Me too. So much. But it's like, again, like after that scene and after, you know, this kind of event happens when when he gets his he he gets this job, he decides to move to Singapore and, and work with Ping. Um, the colors are so brown and muted for both of them. There's a really beautiful scene where it's kind of going back and forth between a wall that they're both leaning against. And it's just so dark and brown and like gray. And the color story of the film changes when their relationship is pulled apart. And speaking of leaning against walls, there are two, possibly three, but definitely two scenes in this film that have stayed with me the way those other scenes stayed with you. Like quintessential, just quintessential shots of Maggie Chung leaning against a fucking wall. And they're gorgeous. It's just truly a spectacle of beauty. Mm. And I just love, so I just, I love this film. I do not want to ruin the ending, but something wild happens like just so heartbreaking and it makes, makes me cry genuinely every time I see it, me even though I too. know it's coming. Oh my God. And then there's this coda that, that was kind of like the coda at the end of your film where the movie takes a different turn, but it, it just, he's still referencing something that like a very poignant moment from earlier in the film. 
Yeah. And it's a it's a moment where um, Chow was talking to Ping. And of course, this beautiful poetic moment is lost on Ping. He's like, what? That's fucking stupid. Like, whatever. Give me some money. Um, but the way that they showcase this moment later in the film as the kind of ending, the coda to the film um, at this beautiful temple in, in Cambodia in Angkor Wat, it brings me, again, I want there to be 17 more movies. It wrecks just me. breaks me down every time. Wrecks me. Wrecks me. I I mean, I see this movie every couple of years and I swear to God, I saw it again for the for this taping and I'm like, fucking wrecked. Like this whole this whole ending just destroys me. Like I the I was watching some of the special features on the Criterion disc and there was a uh, a little interview with Wyatt Cenac. Right? Yes. He, I don't know if you watched it, but he <laughs> talked about how this film was very patient. Mm. And that is exactly what I love about it. It's that it's this patient film that just is all about restraint. And that I think is part of why it hurts so bad, right? Is because yes. you're like, you just want this to happen for them for so many reasons. And then it, it just can't and it can't it can't it reminds me a lot of this uh 1940s movie called brief encounter which i don't know if anybody's ever seen that film holy shit it's the same feeling it's these this feeling of two married people who cannot be in a relationship together despite the fact that they want to be so badly and and they're they're it's coming from these cultures of very traditional you know family values and marriages and you know that kind of stuff and you're just like and it's hard to think about now, because especially in the modern era, I mean, come on, like, it's completely different in this regard. But at this time, in the time of Ugh. this film, especially, man, it was not. It was not the vibe. And the the movie is that feeling of just of, of, of just really of wanting, of longing, of the loneliness and that sort of desperation, you know, for something better and the restraint and the patience and the oh and i think i think criterion did a double feature with brief encounters and in the mood for love and it was um the theme was blue valentines oh like oh my god if you watch these movies back to back like rest in peace yeah oh my god destroyed and by the way we gotta do brief encounter on an episode i mean shit i've been sitting on that one forever talk about another gut punch but um well, this was just so, I'm just so glad we got to finally dig in because I know we both love Wong Kar Wai as a director and mm-hmm. his birthday is, there's no better reason to to dig into these films and start introducing people, hopefully, uh, to films they haven't heard before and, and will watch or have watched. Um, but his whole, his whole oeuvre is just worth, just pick one and jump. Like, it is worth it. Yes, just like the consummate romantic artist, like we said at the beginning. And his films just like evoke so many, so many feelings. They're like, it's nostalgia for me, but also again, like all the things that we talked about, they're romantic, they're sad, moody. I mean, it's just it's just the the whole world that he created with his films is just a place that I really wanted to be in my youth in my 20s mm-hmm. uh and every time i go back there 
it just makes oh god it just makes me want to fall into the hole again like now i'm like well now i gotta go back and watch happy together and fallen angels and all this stuff like (laughs) i'm like gonna be on a tear my letterbox is gonna be a mess i'm gonna just be watching all these one car wine movies so i'm so glad that we got to talk about them and happy birthday one car Y. I don't know if you're listening, but <laughs> if you are, if you happy are, birthday, sir. I'm I'm shocked. I will be thrilled and shocked, but happy birthday to whatever assistant tells him about this. <laughs> I don't even think you could snitch tag him on Twitter. I don't even know Can't if he's on Twitter. He, he ain't on Twitter. He's too busy out here making fucking beautiful stuff brawling spectacles of love and romance you you can't be on twitter and then also be romantic in your heart twitter is the antithesis of romance by the way (laughs) so (laughs) thank god his ass isn't on twitter my god well next week holy shit i have been (gasps) waiting for this one for fucking ever because i know you haven't seen my movie you can count on that, babe. I have and not seen it. I have not even heard of it. And you know what you? happens when that happens. Oh, my God. Listen, I'm I'm just going to say right now, comparably <laughs> between this movie and another movie that I know freaked you the fuck out in every possible way, this one is 10 times worse than Hereditary in that way. Oh, son of a bitch. This one is like the, the height of... I could not have picked a movie that would outdo Hereditary more than this one. All right. I'm going to need a Valium before I watch your film. (laughs) I'm going to have to go ahead and get that on lock. Fuck. Would you want to tell them what the movies are? I mean, I guess. Um, The movies for our next episode are Border from 2018 and... Zardoz from 1974. What is wrong with us? <sighs> oh my god! <laughs> well, if, well I... if you listen, if you want to email our twisted asses, <laughs> we are at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. As we always say, send us questions for bonus episodes, please. Stories, fun movie times, anything you got. Uh, I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on our social media accounts. Uh, we are at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's right. And also, by the way, <laughs> I get those like USPS notifications. Anytime somebody drops a letter into our um, PO box. Oh my God. And we, we've been getting some shit. <gasps> I'll just tell you right now. Um, oh, I cannot wait. Let's carve out a weekend and just read through them together. Yes. Yeah, so we do have a P.O. box. If you go to our, the link tree on our Instagram, you'll find the P.O. box address if you want to send us snail mail. But that's uh, that's happening. So. And we got merch. Hop into the Exactly Right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com. Buy our merch so we can get you new merch. That's how it works. <laughs> merch for and, merch. And we have canceled the Duncan line. So sorry. <laughs> We have canceled those orders. You'll be refunded. Just kidding. We never had one, but theoretically we wanted them until now. So And and, and I should throw in an allegedly. I allegedly <laughs> got COVID at Dunkin' Donuts. So 
Even though we know I fucking did because I didn't take that mask off anywhere else. (laughs) Well, Danielle, as always, it is a fucking pleasure to be doing this podcast with you. So glad you're healthy and everything that you're post-COVID. We love it. Thank you. And I'm glad that you have so far, thus far avoided it. I think you are superhuman and I hope that continues um, since you have, you know, weightlifters just breathing right in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Please stay safe. I need you to stay healthy and safe. Thanks. And we want you to stay healthy and safe, everybody, too. So talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.